Well, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 this morning. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. If you are using the Bible that we've provided for you in the seats, uh, it is on page 554. So Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 5, and in the chair Bibles, page 554. So as you've already heard, today marks the first Sunday of Advent, and Advent is a season of hope and expectation among Christians. It reminds us that just as Christ has come once, he will come again. The peace that he brought to the hearts of those that trust him will eventually rule over all of the earth when Christ returns and subdues his enemies and makes them his footstool, as we see taught in Isaiah, or in Isaiah, but in also in 1 Corinthians 15. But for now, we wait. And the world that we live in is not a peaceful place. Uh, if you're anything like me and you keep up with the news or listen to the radio or watch television, it uh, doesn't take much to convince you that the world that we live in is not a peaceful place. In a recent study that I was looking at, which is the Global Peace Index, which measures ongoing conflict around the world, I read that global peace, as they defined it, is at a 15-year low. And as best as I could tell, and I'm not a sociologist or an anthropologist being able to read such reports, there are roughly, this was a little bit shocking to me, There are roughly 32 countries that are at war in some form right now in our world. Those may be major conflicts like those between Russia and Ukraine, or it might be the type of conflict that hopefully was just resolved in Ethiopia, where the Ethiopian government was attacking the Tigrinian people. Looks like maybe they came to some degree of a treaty and peace settlement on November 3rd, but you know how those types of things work. 32 different countries at war in some form. So we come to this Advent season, and we're going to sing about hope and peace and love, but let's be honest, our hope is that there would be peace and love. We long for the day when peace and love will be evident, but we know that we are not there yet. And while we who have put our trust in Christ experience that peace, love, and hope in our hearts, and we may experience it within our families, may, and we experience in the church of Jesus Christ, the world in which we live is not full of peace and love. Yet, with Advent, We hope for that day, which is what we will look at briefly this morning in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And so if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to stand with me out of respect for the reading of the Word of God as we hear this promise of hope. This is what God's Word says. This is what Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be established above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. 
Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. You may be seated So we go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Father, as we've already prayed that this word would impact us, Lord, I ask that you would guard me from error and that you would feed your people, Lord, and that you would call those that are still dead in trespasses and sins to new life by the work of your Holy Spirit. We are dependent upon you to do this work. Be with us this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can keep your Bibles open to Isaiah 2. We're going to make some reference to that throughout this morning's sermon. But I want to give us a little bit of context jumping into Isaiah 2. Isaiah was a prophet among the people of Judah. His prophetic ministry spanned the reigns of King Uzziah, King Jotham, King Ahaz, and King Hezekiah. This is part of the southern tribe of Israel. His ministry was to warn Judah and her kings to put their trust in the Lord and not in their political alliances. Over the course of Isaiah's ministry, Judah would look to establish peace and security, not by putting their trust in God, but by trying to find it in the different nations, in the the different schemes that they might be able to come up with. Isaiah warns them that if you do not put your trust in the Lord, you will not find the peace that you are looking for. Instead, He promises that they will encounter war and captivity. It's what the first, really, 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah is about. If you do not hear and heed the word of the Lord your God, the Lord your God will discipline you. But the last 26 or so chapters of the book of Isaiah is a promise that though God is going to discipline you, there is hope. He will not ultimately abandon them. There is a hope that remains for the people of God. So that's the context in which we look at Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 5, where Isaiah speaks of the days following Judah's discipline from the Lord. After Judah is disciplined, God would have mercy and fulfill his promise. What is the promise that God, the Lord, makes to Israel and promises that he will fulfill, it's the promise that the nations would stream to the mountain of the Lord. This is Isaiah's way of speaking about fulfilling God's promise to Abraham. Some of you grew up singing, Father Abraham, and many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, I am one of them, so are you, so let's go praise the Lord. And the idea was is that one day, the seed of Abraham would end up blessing all the nations of the earth. Through your seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. 
So there was an expectation that Israel, by virtue of its existence and its obedience to the Lord, would draw nations to themselves. But instead, what Israel did is they went to the nations and became like the nations. If you need any proof of that, go read the book of Judges. The book of Judges is essentially the recounting of the canonization of the people of God. Where they were constituted, brought into the land by Joshua, and then they became like the nations that they were told to drive out. The expectation was that they would draw the nations to themselves, yet they did not. We see this type of promise being made explicitly in places like Exodus 19, when the Lord constitutes the tribes of Israel as his chosen people, as his holy nation, as a priesthood, which would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth if they kept his word. Sadly, they did not keep his word, and thus they were disciplined by the Lord. But the Lord would not allow his promise to fail, as Isaiah 2 tells us. The mountain of the Lord would still be exalted, and the nations would still stream into it. So we ask the question, who are those nations according to Isaiah 2.2? In the last days, the mountain of the Lord, the temple, will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Well, who are the nations? It's not Israel. It's the Gentiles. It's all the nations of the Lord. It's all the non-Jew will stream into the mountain of the Lord because Mount Zion, the Lord's temple, will be exalted, will be lifted up, and will draw all to it. All nations. That's what we read of. These are the people who by nature were estranged from the promises of God. These are the people that in their flesh have no claim to God. Yet because of God's work in the world, because God would exalt himself, the nations see and believe and they come running to the Lord, which is exactly what Judah should have expected if they were paying attention. This is what they were made for. They were made to have this evangelistic, this mission-oriented emphasis where the people would come to them and that there would be peace. But that's a problem, right? Because Even right now, there's not peace in this world. How would this take place? How could all of the nations of the earth ever truly come together? You know, it's funny. I was reading a, uh, I was reading a report uh, about this peace index. Okay, and uh, I can't remember the exact website. You could find it if you wanted to. And one of the suggestions that it had for unifying global unity was soccer. Now listen, I don't know anything about soccer. But I do tell you this, I've watched enough soccer games to know that there's not a lot of peace when your team loses. I thought that was kind of interesting. I think what they were saying is, is we can all come around the global cause of soccer. The problem is, is nobody just shows up at the thing and goes, yay for soccer. It's yay for my team, my soccer team. And if my soccer team destroys you, yay for us. And if they lose, then bad for us. Nobody leaves and goes, well, at least it was soccer. It's, 
Like that's, that's a, that's, I, I get what the attempt is, but let's face it. If we brought all of the nations of the earth together, it's not going to be kumbaya and let's get together. It's going to be war. Andrew and uh, Andrew Brown and I were acutely aware of this last summer traveling to, um, to Lebanon. We went to Beirut. And if we got asked if we'd been to Israel once, we'd been asked a hundred times. And when you say the word Israel in Beirut, you say it like this. And we were like, but hold on, like... Lebanon and Beirut are like these, the, the cedars of Lebanon, it's in the Bible. It's like, like how do you preach the Bible? How, do you, how are you a Christian in Lebanon and preach the Old Testament, which was to Jews? And reconcile these they, they are, you can't have a stamp in your passport from Israel and get into Lebanon. Yes, yeah, so it's pretty clear. See, there's nations at war and there's nations that would be at war if they could be. So, everybody's going to get together at the mountain of the Lord? Sounds like a problem to me. How is unity possible? I think it's found in the message that goes out in Isaiah 2, 3. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. What is this law? What is this word of the Lord? I believe that this passage is pointing us to the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Jesus even records, or words of Jesus are recorded in Luke chapter 24, verse 46, that I believe is an allusion to the fulfillment of this type of prophecy. In Luke 24, 46, Jesus says, The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you see that happening in the book of Acts, don't you? Where does the proclamation of the gospel begin? In Jerusalem, that works its wealth out to Judea, and then to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. So I think that this imagery in Isaiah 2, 3 of the law and the word going out that brings all the nations to the mountain, it's an invitation, come to the mountain, come see the exalted one. How can you show up and there be peace? That there might be forgiveness of sins. The reconciliation of nation one to another depends upon their debts being paid. And the proclamation of the gospel is that what you owe has been paid by Christ. And so this message goes out. The forgiveness of sins we preach to all nations. And it starts at Jerusalem, hits Judea, hits Samaria, and it goes to the uttermost parts of the world. And then they gather around the exalted king. Isaiah 2 talks about a temple that's going to be exalted. How did John 2 describe the temple of the Lord? What did Jesus say? Tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in what? Three days. And they were, they were befuddled. They were like, well, I don't understand that. How, how, it took us 40 years to build this. And then John throws in a, par- a parenthetical statement. He goes, and in speaking of this, he was talking about his own body. Where do the people of God meet with God? Not in the temple made by hands. They meet in Christ. We come together 
in Christ. That's exactly what Ephesians 2 says that the Holy Spirit is up to. The Holy Spirit is building a temple, a sanctified temple, as a dwelling place for the Lord. Where? That people, Jew and Gentile, would come in and meet with the Lord. And who's at the head of that? Christ. Believe that what Isaiah is pointing to is the day when peace will come and peace will reign because the king of peace is here. The proclamation of this good news begins in Jerusalem and then works its way throughout the world, inviting all nations to come and know the grace and forgiveness of God that reconciles man, woman, boy, and girl to God and to one another. I think it's one of the reasons why one of the most stirring songs that we sing during the Christmas um, holiday, and you're going to hear it, God willing, over the next few weeks, uh, we sing it often. It's the Christmas hymn, O Holy Night. It's a great hymn. One of my favorite lines in that hymn is the third line, or the third verse. And if you grew up Baptist, you probably didn't sing it because most times the third verse didn't get sung. Wow, there are not many Baptists in here. That's a pretty good joke. For, let, me, let me clue y'all in on the context real quick, okay? If a hymn had four verses in the Baptist church, mm, it's a little too much singing. It's too many. So you would go one, two, four, okay? And the choir leader would be up there and he would go fourth verse. So anyways, mercy. <laughs> note, note to self. Anyways, in the third verse of O Holy Night, which you should sing, you should sing. It reads, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Change shall he break for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. It's in Christ that this takes place. Such peace, the peace where all nations are able to gather Together is a peace that only comes through Christ, who can transform sin-sick hearts. Only Christ can bring together the nations that were formerly at war with one another. Only Christ can change us so that we turn our tools for killing into tools of cultivation. Notice what they say. As the judge comes between the nations and will settle disputes among many peoples, they, the peoples, will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. These weapons that were used to harm others will be transformed into tools that provide sustenance and blessing to others. And I know this may be hard to believe, especially in Texas. But one day, we are not going to be arguing anymore over whether or not we should have a right to bear arms or if a country needs more nuclear weapons because peace will reign over all. Why? Because Christ will be exalted over all. There will be no more road rage deaths. There will be no more mass shootings, terrorism, or war because peace will reign through Christ when he returns. In fact, even one day, death itself will die forever because we will be raised with new bodies, inheriting a body like his when he returns. 
That's that expectation that we long for as we live in a world that is not full of much peace. We hope for that day. But until that day, Isaiah encourages us. Walk in the light of the Lord. Descendants of Jacob, which you are if you are in Christ, according to the Apostle Paul in Galatians. According to the Apostle Paul in Romans 9. Walk in the light of the Lord. It seems hard. I can't imagine walking in the light of the Lord. If I walk in the light of the Lord, won't the light of the Lord expose all of my darkness, all of my sin, all of my sickness? Yeah. See, the beauty of walking in the light of the Lord is what John tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. Walking in the light is not walking in the light of someone who's aiming to catch us, but instead walking in the light of someone that intends to heal us. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sin. If we walk in His light, if we are near to Him as we lift it in song, He will cleanse us and He will purify us. Peace is coming because Christ is coming. Until that day, we walk in the light of Christ, confident that He will cleanse us of every sin that we confess to Him and that we bring to Him because He is good. He is the King of peace. Would you pray with me? As you reflect on the message this week, feel free to reach out to our staff by emailing care at copperfieldchurch.com. We would love to hear from you and pray for you. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and our other podcast, Equipped for Good. Thanks for listening.